morning, good afternoon, depending on where we are in the world at this time. My name is Shamik and it gives me great pleasure to kick off this session on bounce back. How can we use meditation in the context of bouncing back in the face of adversity? How can we weave it into our lives and make sense of a topic that is sometimes a little bit complex? And joining me today is Lyndon, a meditation practitioner who has been tuning the instrument and tuning this art and science for, what is it, 30 years? 35 years, yeah. Wow, wow. That's amazing. Uh, Lyndon, I have to say that I'm fascinated by the concept of bounce back, not just because of COVID, but it's always been very interesting for me to understand the kind of the DNA of an individual or a community or even a country that manages to face high levels of stress, high levels of adversity, and uh, not only adapt, but actually bounce back much like a tennis ball. Um, and in this context, it's even more interesting. Interesting is not the right word. It's uh, more valuable. It's probably the best way to put it because we're in a situation where it's not just enough to be able to bounce back today, tomorrow, or the next week. But we just have to keep doing this. It's, it's something that you and I were talking about, I think a few days ago, is that we have no expiration date to this crisis. That's true, Shamik. And um, I, I was somebody who um, maybe counter to uh, somebody who reaches their mid-50s. I, I was someone who took on more responsibility in the last three years in my job and uh, that was, of course, more stress. And, and some people would say, why would you do that? But um, to me, it seemed important to, to kind of test my resilience and, and be able to say, well, what, what can you um, deal with? If you've been meditating for 35 or 36 years, can, does that mean you can deal with stressful situations and, and you know, be able to bounce back every time? Because it's a regular thing. It's not a one-off thing. Yeah, it's, it's not as if we can, or anybody can say that, look, grit your teeth. I, I was in the US for about 16, actually close to 20 years. And in the great state of Texas, there used to be this aphorism, which was really uh, memorable, which was suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> that if things are getting tough, then just suck it up. You, you'll make your way through it. That appeals to Australians the, too. I, I think Aussies are very close. There is an intrinsic toughness about Aussies. And I'm originally from India. And I know the, the Indian cricket team and even the cricket fans, they would always admire the, the toughness in Aussies. But in this situation, it's not as if we can say, okay, it's just the winter of discontent. Once the winter is over, we'll be fine. We'll be out at the beach. The world will be a better place. Travel will be reinstated. It, it doesn't seem to end, right? No, it's, it's a constant. It's more a marathon than a sprint, of course. And um, did we know how long things would take? Um, maybe we had a sense that, that it would be more than 12 months, but we're, we're now into 18 months. And, and it's, it's not like the crisis is even peaking yet. And that, that's just a reminder that actually life, it's about changing now and adapting. And um, maybe last year was the crisis, but this year is about adapting and that's going to be that way for the rest of this year at least. Yeah, I, I remember growing up 
I, my brother and I used to say that uh, mom gave us this puzzle that could never be solved. So every time we would have an exam, she would say, this is it. You do well, you put in the, the hard yards, you do well in this exam, and life will be better after that. But we never got to that one exam where it was perpetuity, right? That you, you ace this one exam and the rest of life is going to be a cakewalk. That never really happened. And in a way, I think it was, it was good preparation because uh, now looking back, we realize that, well, there can always be another challenge. Well, and uh, I think your mum was right because you do that exam and, and that gives you confidence for doing the next exam. So um, she, when she said life was better, she was being honest, but it's an incremental thing. <laughs> Life's just slightly better each time you do the next exam. <laughs> so it's, it's like that when you, when you deal with something and you actually think, well, I managed that. That, that gives you something to hang on to for the next uh, challenge. And uh, I, I, I really do admire people who are resilient. And, uh, you know, it, it's always good to think of those people when, when you're facing a challenge. It's like, what would so-and-so do in this situation? Because they can cope. I should be able to cope if I can get to the right emotion. Because emotions are a very important thing. And uh, when, when, we, when we're facing crisis, the first thing we feel is our emotions. And uh, it's, what you, it's what you do from that point that's important you know, that, that emotion, particularly anxiety and fear, it, it's almost like an instinct. Uh, but you but going do you think, to... I'm sorry to interject, but do you think there is a certain stigma, even now in the year 2021, there is some level of hesitation among men to be talking about emotions? Or do you think that's... Uh, are men perhaps uh, are, are behind with that? And, and that's, that's, that's the, the downfall of that suck it up buttercup expression that, don't show your emotions. Don't tell other people that you're having difficulty because you're not supposed to. And that's a cultural thing in Australia. And, you know, men are under a bit of a crisis in Australia in all kinds of ways in terms of how they relate to women and um, how they respect women. That's a really important thing that's being acknowledged in the community right now. And the emotional aspect of, of being emotionally genuine uh, is really important for men in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I have to um, say that in some ways, I mean, coming from India, I've kind of traveled around the world. So I, I grew up in India, spent about 20 years in the United States, and now I'm a resident of Australia. I have to say that if we think about whether men are in touch with their feminine side, to an extent, it is true in India. Um, men are probably... Uh, more likely to express their emotions and, and say things that would be seen as quote-unquote feminine. But at the same time, there is this stigma that, okay, if you're a man, then you should be able to withstand pain. Um, you should be able to endure certain situations and soldier on. Do you think in the context of meditation, just being able to visualize or embrace or express your emotions has some kind of cathartic or, or positive effect on the psyche or is that in your experience is that not so important well first of all i'd, I'd like to say I, I really learned a lot from being around men in india and and how familiar they were and 
you know, I was very lucky because I went to India in the 80s um, and, you know, I, I did meet some Indians who became very close friends very quickly and, and even that alone was something of a, of a revelation to me, to, to meet people and be friendly. They must have asked you about your father. Asked me about everything, asked me about cricket <laughs> uh, and then we're walking down the street and we're holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> and people don't do that anymore, but we were holding hands back yeah. in those days. It was it was just a way to bond for, for men. And uh, getting beyond the initial um, reaction, you think, well, this is really, this is really, actually really nice <laughs> uh, to, uh, to have that camaraderie and to be able to, you know, build from that base. So I, I did learn a lot from making friends with people in India. And it is important for, for men to, to have that spontaneity in their personality. And this is something that I've, I've developed, I think, from meditation. Sahaja Yoga meditation in itself. Sahaja means spontaneous. And, and it's not just a branding. It is something that you want to develop and you do develop from, from doing meditation. Sahaja now, Yoga let me meditation. ask you this. Did you learn? So you've been following meditation about Sahaja Yoga meditation for about 30 years now. And... Has most of that learning been in solitude or is it a balance of you have your alone time when you're introspecting or pondering and then there's times where you're meditating in a group? And and if you have been meditating in a group, which one have you found to be more effective, the, the solitude or meditating in a group? Well, these days I do meditation every morning at home. So it, it's a little bit of a solitary thing for me now. But uh, when I first came along, I wanted to be living in a house with other um, people who were doing meditation. We used to get up in the morning. That time was really important to me. And spending time uh, in a shared room with, with other guys and learning from them, people who'd been doing like it. Like a boot camp. It was, it was more than a boot camp. It was, it was uh, you know, it was a collective house. And we had like-minded people and, and people you could talk to and, and you could find somebody mm -hmm. at any time of day and, and to be able to talk about the things that we want to talk about. And, um, so a sense of community did help. It really did help and, and it is a, an important thing to be able to have people around you. I, I've missed that since the lockdown and I really look, do look forward to those times, even if it's just once a month, where, where I can be together and just catch up with people, even if it's just a, a, a you know... Uh, how, how are you kind of conversation. It's, it's really good for the soul. Wow. Wow. That, that's, that's quite remarkable because, you know, I would think that having that solitude is kind of the holy grail of the typical Aussie male. But what I'm finding more and more evident, and this is something that I saw in the United States as well. I've, I've spent about two years in Australia now. And like I said, I've, I spent 20 years prior to that in the U.S. One thing that I found really perplexing was that in the U.S. as well, there is this real crisis among men, particularly. Um, and I think this is global. This is not just about the U.S. Because there are these stereotypes, these stereotypes that the, the man has to be impregnable and can never share his emotions or express his emotions is causing some underlying challenges. And how they're expressing is very much a function of whether where he's from and the circumstances and all of those external factors. But one thing that really brought it home to me was um, one of my favorite actors, he committed suicide, uh, Robin Williams. Mm. 
And there was this real outpouring of anguish around the world because this was a really well-liked actor. It was the, I wasn't the only fan, let, let me put it this way. And I remember someone telling me that New York City, on one of the major bridges, if you had someone, there would be people who would commit suicide from the bridge. They would just jump off the bridge. Now, that is obviously a, a shocking, terrible thing to happen. You would think that in this highly populated city, there would be someone who would stop and maybe assist that person. But the reality was that in many cases, what was actually happening was that as a vehicle was passing by, probably nine times out of ten, the police officers had actually seen that the passing vehicle and the, the driver would be saying, just go ahead and jump. And the, the psyche, or, or what I took away from it was, if someone is in that state, there's, there's a certain sentiment in society that, okay, you're no longer functional. You, you, don't, you should not become a burden to society. Just go ahead and take your life. That's a hardness that's crept into society. Uh, and it's almost like an underlying mood. And, and we talk about the right side in Sahaja Yoga, you know, that, that um, right side is the more futuristic side, it's the more action side. That's the masculine energy. And it's the more masculine energy side, but it's not the side that is sensitive to emotions. And if people are moving towards that futuristic side and that more action side, they're, yeah, they're, they're a kind of person who feels better about themselves. But are they sensitive to other people and are they in a balance where, where they can empathize with other people. And, and for me, that's, that's really important because I'm aware of it. Uh, you know, even driving into Sydney, you, you can feel that right side. It, it's a vibe you can feel in Sydney that Sydney we'll is, a, is a right-sided mm -hmm. go-getter place. This is why I like to get in the car on the weekends and, and, and get out of Sydney, get, out of Sydney. get a refresh because when I come back into Sydney, I can feel that hardness and that right side coming back into me and, you know, essentially, you could say that the, the, the default for people is just a higher level of impatience and, and just a higher level of anger. People talk about the iceberg of anger. Have you ever heard about the iceberg of anger? I, I've never heard about that. Well, anger is, is a basic emotion, and, and it's an emotion that people should feel in a very present state. You know, somebody... Um, pushes you or, or bumps you in a shop, you get, you get a little bit angry. Get back, right. That's a primary thing. Mm. But when, when, you're, when you're in the car and, and somebody in another car gets angry at you, you're never sure whether, did I do something wrong there or is that, just, is that person just basically mm. impatient and angry? Is it angry? fear or is it... Oh, That's okay. right. And, I see what you and mean. And so, you know, people's you know, level of anger and, and their basic default to, to take to anger is, is they have a shorter fuse. Mm. And that's because they have this iceberg underneath them of all these other sec secondary emotions. So There's a lot of processing happening behind there's the a lot of So, oh, so okay. they get angry just about what they're thinking about. Or they get angry um, because of things that happened in their childhood. And, mm. and you know, that's something that um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of men in Australia, maybe they, they were dealt with a bit more hardly in their childhood. And that basic level of anger and the sources of that anger are, are just more apparent. And I, it's something I, I see in myself as well. It, it's not just something I see in other people. That It's something I have to be mindful of, that, that right-sidedness, which is in me. And I can say 
Uh, I feel like in the last couple of years, I've really started to, you know, calm down my right side. But this is after 36 years of meditating. It takes a long time to calm down that right side. I'm living in a right-sided what? country. I mean, yeah, I, I was hoping that you would say it just takes about five seconds and you're a transformed person. Yes, uh, yes, in terms of meditating. <laughs> you, and, and this is why you meditate. And, and then that right side saying, why are you sitting here? You've got something else to do. You've been here for 20 minutes. That's enough now. And, and you know, Absolutely. That, that impatience that constantly drives you to be doing other things, it's, it's something I'm still aware of after 36 years. And, and, but what you learn after 36 years is you learn to watch yourself and you learn to see, well, where's that coming from? And, and you, you introspect at That's the powerful, moment yeah. and you catch yourself doing that. And, and you think, well, is this me getting impatient and angry or is this because I'm just living in an angry and impatient town? So are you separating a part of yourself that is not the thoughts? Is that the the process that you're employing or what exactly is happening at that moment in time? Well, what I'm saying is in, in when you first meditate, you want to have, you want to get thoughtless awareness. And yes, I mean, you get that quite soon. You, you get a state of thoughtless it, awareness. It may only last I mean, a few seconds. I mean, thoughtless awareness in itself seems so remarkably confusing, right? Because we live in a time where we are just drowning in information that's right being hit from all directions so it seems it seems in, in the beginning you think well that'd be great that'd be the, probably the first time i ever experienced in that and, and it may be just a fragment fragmentary thing in the beginning you get a bit of thoughtless awareness um but after you've done some meditation you think well i can get there at least for a few seconds and then you start to think what else is going on in my meditation and then you start to think well so you're saying meditation begins with this this concept of thoughtless awareness where you're aware, but there's silence inside. And, and I'm saying that that's our basic goal in the beginning, mm. to experience silence, mental silence, as mm. we can call it, or thoughtless awareness. But when you, when you experience that, that's the right side. And uh, really, what, what, you, what you're experiencing is being in the present. And what can help you mm. to be thoughtless is not to think about your thoughts, but to pay attention to your emotions. Wow, okay. And if you think, well, what am I feeling right now? As soon as you start thinking about what you're feeling, or you pay attention to your feelings, then you get a sense of silence. So you're not reacting to, let's say, some negative emotion, some anger, or, or some turbulence inside, but you're consciously paying attention. Well, that's the other thing. The if you if you watch your emotion, whatever emotion is bothering you at the time, you put it in perspective, and and mm. it becomes less 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 of less in your face. You can say you just get a little bit of a, a sense of okay, in the present, it's no longer there because that hap that thing happened five yeah. minutes ago. Whatever Hopefully made it me angry, never again. it's over now. As soon as you're thinking, what am I feeling right now? You, you start to re realize that the anger is dissipating. The only thing that keeps the anger going is, is you're thinking about it and mm. you're dwelling on it. Yes. But if you put yourself in the present, that's the best way, first of all, to, to you know, manage your emotions. And second of all, if you pay attention to your emotions, that helps you to be more silent in your mind. And why is it important to be silent? Because you want to be listening for the good thoughts. Not just, not just be. having the noise of all the the, right. the you know the ruminations, as we could say, the thinking now, and thinking about something that happened five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, and and so often, what we find is that, especially when we look at cases where 
somebody did something really extreme. So um, I'm going to go back to the case of this celebrity who committed suicide. Yep. And there was a, a, a real surge in those cases. There were celebrities who took their own lives. And I sit and wonder sometimes that why would a person get to that point? Why couldn't there be some kind of intermediation before things got so completely out of control where someone who seems to be apparently so successful would decide to take end his or her own life? And I just wish that there was some way to end that cycle. This must be some kind of a cycle, right? So there's there's a cycle of negative thinking or emotions that is being fed, as you're saying, through the thoughts and maybe even through behaviors. But there's there's got to be a, a way to break that cycle. And I'm just wondering, have you noticed, Is there is it possible to forgive? Is it possible to use forgiveness maybe as that pause or as that circuit breaker, you know, break that cycle of negative emotions, anger. Have you noticed that? Well, I, I think that idea of forgiveness is really important. And we were talking about this earlier. And uh, when it comes to meditation, it's, it's not too difficult to get to this point. And then it's like you get stuck at this point. And, and what is the you thing think that... The thoughts, they will the just... The thoughts continue. are there and, and you, you, you're almost like... You're, you're, there's like a brick of thoughts. And it's like, how, how do I find the space in those thoughts? But what clears this center, of course, is forgiveness. And uh, at first you think, okay, well, that's an interesting idea. How is forgiveness related to thinking? But um, something I've realized recently is, is it's not just about forgiving people. You have to forgive the situation. Wow. That's really powerful, yes. And, and you know, we're, we're in a situation now where we're all thinking, why me? Why now? Why this year? Yeah. And it's the, the first thing you need to do to stop that kind of rumination and, and to get to the positive and get out of that negative is to forgive the situation. And, and so I think that's true. the beginning of resilience mm -hmm. because th then you get out of that, that anxiety about You're the situation. You're not grinding on it. You're continuously. Not, it's like, okay, so if I can let go of that, if I can forgive that, then I can think of the positive or I can think of a person who has these positive qualities mm. and I, I can think of things that are admirable, things that are enjoyable in life, things that, are, 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 that I can be grateful for because mm -hmm. there are so many. So true. And so forgiveness is the first thing. It's like, okay, forget about that. Think about something better. Okay, I forgive that thought. I forgive that situation. Because there are more important things just in life more light. to pay attention to. Mm. So forgiveness, forgiving people, forgiving the situation, and, and forgiving ourselves for thinking so much mm. is, is an important so thing. Yeah. You know, because we're hard on ourselves too sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I think we are hardest on ourselves and forgiving ourselves <clears throat> for some mythical and maybe some real situations yeah. is the hardest act of it all. So I, I think that's really, really powerful for us to remember that uh, forgiveness is something that we can access. And, and, and it's an affirmation, and, and people can use affirmations. Affirmations are, are, are really, I wouldn't say they're powerful because they're, they're, they're in themselves they're very simple. You just say, I forgive this situation. Um, you know, relax. It's not so bad as you think. I forgive this situation. So I forgive that person. Yourself. If you say that... It does have an impact. Mm. And um, when I was new in a job as a manager, 
uh, I was in that panic mode. Whenever anybody walked into the office, it's like, oh my gosh, I've got I've got to deal with this situation. I've already got other situations I'm supposed to be dealing with, and and automatically, if you if, if you go with that Im- emotion, you're you're getting angry at the person before they've even said anything. And I, I never I, what 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 was it, what I was saying in those situations. What what I used to say to myself is presence. That's that's what I used to use to stop me from panicking and and fearing and and getting anxious about that situation. And, and if, if I use that word, and I, I used to say it to myself, presence, pay attention because if you if you really listen to what they're saying, you'll deal with it much more quickly, and then mm. you'll get back to what you want to do. Yeah. But yeah, the other side of the other aspect of that is. Forgive this person. Don't get angry at them before they've even said anything. Be in that forgiving and open-minded state, and whatever they've, whatever they're saying, because they think it's important, mm-hmm. you'll be able to deal with more effectively, and you'll get back to what you need to, whatever you thought was important as well. So, it's our ego which gets angry, and it's our ego which decides whether, you know, um, what's important for us. But it's our heart, or it's our empathy which is open to other people and, and that's, you know, how do you get to the heart? Well, you know, you can think in your chest, but the heart is also here. You know, the heart is in two places. People don't realize the heart is, is connected to the mind, but we know in meditation that's true. That, uh, it's all a perfectly connected system. That's right. And, and where do you find the heart in your mind through forgiveness? Mm. Wow, that's, that's really profound. So, so how did you find Sahaja Yoga. I mean, 30 years ago in Australia, it was a different world. It was a different country, a different time. It was a different time. And, and there were very few books on the market. Uh, there were very few resources, uh, maybe that protected me from, mm. from the worst possibilities because, you know, it's so easy to get lost these days. But, but well. even though, even so, I did a lot of mm. seeking and, and it, it was only, it was, probably for when I was about 14 or 15, trying to work things out. I think that was a very difficult time of my life and I was getting very frustrated and um, getting to the point where I'm thinking, well, this, th- th- there's not an answer. There's not the answers I'm looking for mm-hmm. out there. But, uh, you know, having done all that seeking, when, when I did see Sahaja Yoga, I very quickly recognized what it was. And um, to the point where I recognized this is something, it, it's either really big and really important or it is a complete phony. And I, I had both ideas in my mind and I thought, well, I, ha- I, I don't want to die wandering here. I have to just go, see. Go down that if, rabbit hole. If this see. is really <laughs> what, what it's promising me because I, I'd have done enough seeking to quickly understand the premise of Sahaja Yoga, which is very profound and very deep. Mm. And I also had that cynical thing in my mind. And I said, well, okay, I'm just going to give this a couple of months Evaluate, yeah. to really work it out. And then I'll either drop it like a hot rock or I'll know that this is the one I've been looking for. And, and how did you, what was your first experience? Did you meet someone who introduced it to you or was it a, an event? How did you go about the process of starting the meditative journey? That, that's where I was most fortunate because Srimadaji was visiting Australia. This was in 1985. And Srimadaji is the founder <coughs> of Sahaja yes. Yoga Manage. And of course, I didn't know who she was at that time. I'd never heard about Srimadaji before that. But there was a poster, which I think the first time I saw it, I thought, well, there we go. There's another, there's another guru. 
And uh, and there was no but, Instagram, but it was no on, Facebook. It was on no the way <laughs> from, from my uh, commute because I was commuting to university in those days. And so I'd go past this poster, you know, every day and I'd, I'd look at it again. And, you know, I think I felt something uh, mm. that, that uh, this is like an idea that, well, it may be just another guru or it may be something profound. Don't that. die wondering. Mm. Give it a go and find out what it is. And so I did, and I, I went along to Sri Mataji's public program. Do you remember where this was? Yes, I do. It was in the exhibition buildings in Melbourne. Oh, wow. And I, I remember the date. It was the 14th of March, 1985. And um, so I went to the first uh, program. And that, that was, you know, I think it really helped me because it's the whole sense of occasion. And, um, you know, you, the people who are watching this video, that they, they can watch us talking. We could give them self-realization. I think you've got a, a video lined up, which is Sri Manaji going through the process of self-realization. And I think that's a really, really important thing that you found that because that was my experience of Sri Manaji introducing me and taking me through the process of self-realization. So you were one of those individuals who was seated in the audience. I was in the audience. I remember it. I, <laughs> and it was a very memorable time. And again... Um, I went away from that feeling great, but I, I'm that's a, important. But I'm a person who is a compulsive thinker, mm. and uh, ever ever since uh, you know since then, you know, getting that experience of silence in my mind, it's not been easy for me. You know, I can get a short amount of that experience, and then my mind wants to drift away, and so I've had to learn how to to bring my mind back. But the thing that's helped me most is not just saying not this thought, not just stopping my thoughts. What's helped me most is getting in touch with my emotional side and thinking, what am I feeling right now? And uh, the other thing that, that, that I can say, because it's three things, the, the right side is, is just that mental silence. The left side is your emotions. In the center, it's your attention on the, on the physical subtle system, which takes you to thoughtless awareness. And, and after you've been meditating for some time, you pay attention to the vibrations of what you're feeling and you pay attention to the subtle system. And, and when, you, when you can do that in your meditation, you get a deeper meditation. So maybe next time we, we meet, we, we can talk about, um, maybe guide people a little bit in how to be aware of their emotions in their meditation and how to be aware of the subtle system in their meditation because that, that is, that's what's really helped me to get it to a deeper state of silence, not thinking about my thoughts. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we're going to um, listen to this speech by Srimantaji in Australia. Uh, it's going to be about, I think, about 10 minutes, maybe a little bit more. And we'll be right back. I guess Indian gurus have been in vogue over recent years in the West. The Beatles introduced us to the Maharishi. The orange people blindly followed the Bhagwan. But there have been others far more credible and far more respectable. My next guest is a Bombay lady whose following is growing around the world. She says that, um, that you have the power to deal positively with every problem from con men to cancer. All you have to do is know how to tap into it, to tap into that power. Would you please welcome the lady acclaimed as India's greatest living saint, the mother of Sahaja Yoga, Shri Mataj. Welcome. I know that it's very difficult for anyone to sum up one's religion, but is it possible to say what is Sahaja Yoga? Sahaja. Saha means with. Ja is born with. 
This is born with you. Within us is the power which can give us the status of a spirit. We are not yet the spirit. We are at a human level and in the evolutionary process we have to now have the breakthrough to become the spirit. That's very essential and is absolutely eventually the all uh, possible natural thing that has to happen. It should happen to all of us and the time has come for you to get to that position where you become the spirit. All the religions have talked about it and told about it. But people have gone wrong in believing that artificially if you uh, say that you are baptized or you have become a Brahmin or you have become a peer, that you have become the spirit. It's not that. It's a happening that has to take place within ourselves, which is a living process, absolutely living process of the living divine force within ourselves. We've heard of, of lots of, uh, of yogas. Um, how does this differ from other Indian yogas? Other yogas uh, were practiced mostly after getting realization, but as it has come from some half-baked people, it is in a very funny way that people follow it as if they have to take all the medicines together and they don't know any discrimination about it. Unless and until you make this force rise within you, you will not know what uh, type of attention is needed and what type of physical exercise is needed. Indiscriminately, people do physical exercises getting into troubles. Now, you speak of the force. Is it possible to say what this, where does this force emanate from? This force is a residual power in our triangular bone called a sacrum. 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 Okay. Now, the sacrum is where it comes from Greek, and that means Greek people knew this was a sacred bone. It rises from there, passes through our six centers, piercing through our fontanel bone area, and you get the cool breeze of the Holy Ghost coming out of our head. That's what Christians refer to as Yes. I mean, Holy Ghost, what is the Holy Ghost? Uh, nobody can explain, but Holy Ghost is very simple to understand. This is the reflection of the Holy Ghost within us. Holy Ghost is the desire of God. God Himself watches the working of the desire, and the desire is that we all should become the Spirit. And this desire is reflected in our triangular bone in three and a half points. When is this the central nervous system? No, it is in the triangular bone. It, this, force, this is the fourth force within us. Okay. We have sympathetic nervous system, left and right, and we have got autonomous, that is an autonomous nervous system, and parasympathetic, and we have also central nervous system. Now, this is the system which is not yet working. It is still in the triangular bone. When it rises, it gives you, you a new dimension of the Spirit. means the light of the Spirit comes in our attention. In that case, what happens is very simple <coughs> to understand that at human level we are not in the absolute state, not in the absolute state. That's why there's a chaos. Supposing I'm holding a snake in my hand, you see, and there's no light. Somebody tells me that there's a snake, I will not throw it up. I would not like to listen to anybody's advice about it. But if there's a light, I'll throw it away. In the same way, when you become the Spirit, the light of the Spirit guides you. He, you become your own master, you become your own guru. You don't have to have any guru for that. This piercing of the fontanel bone by the Kundalini 
gives you the power of the spirit. But, the, but you're talking about a physical power, a spirit that comes out of the top of your head. No, it's an energy. An energy, all right. It's an energy which comes out of your continental bone area, here, area, touching the spirit. But the spirit actually resides in the heart. But the main seat of the heart is here in the fontanel bone area. And it pierces through, when it pierces through, actually it should pierce. It's not just I say I baptize you, it's not like that. It has to pierce through that and you have to feel the cool breeze of the Holy Ghost on top of your head. Is and it there now? Yes, it's there. Can I and feel it? I don't know if you'll feel it or not because you'll have to have that sensitivity. Now, you see, all around also that all-pervading power is there which makes everything uh, vibrate. But this energy can be felt only when you have got that realization. Then what happens that all your centers on your fingertips become sensitive. And you can feel, this is written in, in the Quran, that your hands will speak when you will get to your resurrection. Yes. This is a resurrection. But Natasha, you must know, you must realize, I mentioned the Maharishi and I mentioned the Bhagwan and so on, you must live with the skeptics and the doubters because of, course, of those... Of course, I'm living with them all the time. The con men have come, have come <laughs> yes. before you. Yes. Now, firstly, you see, the, the great mistake we commit as far as going to gurus or to anything that is religious is that you cannot pray for God. You see, it's a living process of a living God. Now, supposing you want to sprout a seed, how much money do you pay to the Mother Earth? It's a very simple thing, but people don't understand. They think that they can purchase everything. You cannot purchase God. A simple uh, method, if you apply to all of them, they will all run away. I read that, uh, that this spirit, this power you speak of, can deal with, as I said, I mentioned the comment, but can deal with, uh, with cancer. Because, see, I'll show you now, this is the center. We can say this is the medulla oblongata, or we can say this is through which the central canal is passing. Now, the center is inside here. Now, when we are in the imbalance, say we go too much towards the left side, means we become too emotional or do all kinds of wrong, nonsensical conditioning. Then, or if we go too much to the right in ego and all that, you see, then we break this. Once we break this, what happens? That the center becomes constricted and the energy becomes constricted. Slowly it breaks the relationship with the head, with the whole, and it becomes malignant. When it becomes malignant, it starts uh, overpowering other cells. And that's how cancer affects the spirit. All right. Well, it's very difficult to understand and, and, and understand it cold as I'm doing now. Yesterday we had 1,500 people downstairs and about 500 people upstairs. And most of them got realized. Through radio and television, you've, you've told people at home. They're very sensitive people, Hong Kong. Perhaps they're in trouble now because they have to go away and all that. Maybe that is it. People who are in, in need are more sensitive, are they? I think so, because they then anchor after God. You see, otherwise they think we are all right. What, what to care for God? You see, who is God after God? Otherwise, Australians are very good. Are they? We are very are receptive, the best, are we? They are the best people. They are very innocent. And they get their realization very fast. They stick on to it. And they have done wonders. They have done wonders. I should make the point that I saw one of your advertisements in one of the papers today, and you... Uh, I think you're, there is a, a meeting tonight at the State Theatre in Sydney, but there is no fee charge. You're not at least, Of course not. You're not charging. You're not no, no, not at all. You're rounding up money. No. <laughs> no, I should make. All right, we thank you for your time. You're staying thank another you. week or so in Australia. You, yes. You've been to other states, and you're now doing Sydney. Yes. With a, with a I'll be going to Melbourne. Sydney, uh, Melbourne, and then to New Zealand. And to New Zealand also.
All right, we thank you. I'm sure if, uh, if you'd you like to see Natasha, you could uh, check your local newspapers and find where she's yeah. meeting people. Thank you thank very you. much indeed. Thank Please you. thank you, Natasha. So that must have been what it was like. That that brings back a lot of memories. Every time I see Shumanji doing the process of realization, I, one thing I say is it's different every time, and I, you know, but also it brings me back to that first time, which is of course the the most memorable time of, of following, and and that self consciousness of thinking, well, I'm putting my hands here, I'm putting my hands there, is it working? And then at the end, yes, it's working. Yeah, and and <laughs> you can feel that there is this flow of cool energy on your hands. I think that is probably the most compelling part, right? The anchor that really brings it all together. Exactly. That, that's a sensitivity that comes from being in that central channel. Mm. And, you know, um, it's in the beginning, it might be just a few strands. People say it's like the lotus stalk. You know, there's these little strands inside a lotus oh, I've stalk. I've never heard of that. Yeah, they're like strings. And, wow. and and it might be just a few strands, but you do meditation every day and you get more and more strands. It gets better. You get more and more sensitive. If maybe one hand is feeling cool, the other hand is feeling hot. And that was me for 25, 30 years. And now I'm starting to feel cool on my right hand. Can you believe that? It's taken me 30, wow. 30 years to wow. get my right hand cool. but. That's what that's what persistence does for you. That's amazing. But that's all in one lifetime. That's I I see that as a great achievement in my lifetime to cool down my right side. Well, <laughs> it does seem really really profound because of the fact that we live in remarkably stressful times. And if there is this system, there's this process that we can leverage to become better versions of ourselves. Then why not take advantage of that? I think we, the the first thing we find out when we get self-realization is there is a better version of ourself. And then we think the question is, how do I get there? And that's the journey of Sahaja. And, and if we fall, we can use this to bounce back. Yeah, that's right. You know, and that's the other thing. We, we think, wow, okay, so I have that spontaneity. Mm-hmm. And I have that ability to forgive people. That's the first time I, I use the mantra, I forgive. Wow. And it's like, wow, that, 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 that affirmation, it, it felt good at the time. I, it felt like a lifting off my shoulders. Why wouldn't I want to use an affirmation like that? Unbelievable. Well, Lyndon, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And I hope we get the opportunity to do this again. This would be great to do it again. Thanks for asking me to talk to you, Shami. Wonderful. Thank you all.